We invite you to open up the scriptures with me this morning to John's Gospel, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in John chapter 1 today as we continue our Advent series looking at John chapter 1. But before we do that, before we turn our attention to the scriptures, let me invite you to join me in intercessory prayer this morning, a new practice for us in our corporate gatherings here and on this uh, second Sunday of the month. We want to pray specifically for a sister church in our area. And so today I want you to join me in praying for the church at Brook Hills, Pastor Matt Mason, and that the Lord would work there in a great way, that he would continue working there in a great way to shine the light of his gospel. So would you bow with me at this time? Father, we do turn to you again this morning and we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the church at Brook Hills. Father, we thank you for uh, that that beacon of light that shines the light of your gospel. Father, we pray for Pastor Matt Mason and the rest of uh, the leadership staff there. Father, we pray that you would grant them wisdom, that you would give them strength. Father, that you would continue to guide them in shepherding this local congregation to care for one another and to spread the gospel of Jesus in Birmingham and beyond for the glory of your name. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for their emphasis on your word. And Father, on hearing and responding to the gospel and shining the light of the gospel near and far, sustain them, encourage them even now as they gather as your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to look with John chapter, look at John chapter one with me this morning. John chapter one. I'll begin reading in verse one. And let me invite you, as is our practice here, to join me standing. Uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. John chapter 1, verse 1, and I read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Would you bow with me? Father, guide us now that we might understand Your Word. Father, that we might know You. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever flown on an airplane next to someone that uh, just could not look out the window? Uh, Just could not stand there. Their least favorite part of flying was was knowing that they were actually in the air above the ground, not far above the ground. Maybe that was you. Maybe that's you on an airplane. You can't look out the window. Maybe the high view just isn't for you and you feel much more comfortable with your feet on the ground. I have to be honest, I, uh, when, it's been a while since I have flown, but when I do fly, I love to look out the window. I love to see the high view. I, I love to see the terrain from afar, to see the roadways and the waterways and how they come together across the landscape. Now, if the Apostle John, who writes this text, could fly in an airplane, I think he would also be looking out the window. Now, John notices the details. He, he's aware of the details. He includes details, but certainly not every Detail. 
He's looking at the broader landscape. He's tying together key elements that contribute to the central story. See, John has a wide view of Christmas. He's writing to convey theology, to record and to instruct his readers and hearers concerning what was really taking place when the Christ child showed up on the scene in Bethlehem. See, you notice that John doesn't write about the dusty road to Bethlehem. It doesn't write about the lack of room in the end or the shepherds living out in the fields nearby watching their sheep by night. Not because he doesn't know about these things and not because he doesn't care about them, but because he wants us to know the grander reason why it's all happening. He wants us to know without a shadow of a doubt that the story, that in the story that we call Christmas, the eternal creator became a man. The eternal creator, the almighty maker of heaven and earth who has always existed, who exists today and who will always exist. This one, the eternal creator, became a man. And so John writes, the word became flesh. This is what we call the incarnation. Second person of the triune God taking on human nature. This is the arrival of the Son of God in human flesh. John describes this one as the word. In the first century Greek world, the word, or logos, was the philosophical principle of reason giving order to the universe. And so John is saying that Jesus is the reason and he's the order behind history, the one by whom everything else exists. But he's also saying a bit more than that. In the Hebrew scriptures that John is depending on and echoing here in in John chapter 1, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the word, God's word connotes his activity in creation. God speaks and things happen. God speaks and his word creates. The word is God's speech, his communication his self-expression, his self-disclosure, God's revelation. As, as the written word reveals the character and will of God, so does Jesus Christ. He reveals God. He is divine self-expression or the ultimate self-disclosure of God. That's what John is saying here. As the word, Jesus is the pre-existent divine creator of the universe. He's the pre-existent divine creator of the universe. We know this because John begins his gospel by telling us so. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In other words, John leaves no room for a Jesus who is less than God himself. Like John records Jesus' words later to his disciples where Jesus would say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the pre-existent divine creator of the universe, fully God, and yet John says he became flesh. The Word became flesh, meaning he became human. One of us. He is fully God and fully man. And as a man, Jesus was tempted like us. I want to give a few uh, markers of his humanity. Reasons why Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh. As a man, Jesus was tempted like us. If Jesus did not become human, he could not have experienced 
temptation. But he did. In fact, the apostles tell us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Temptation and hunger, signs of his humanity. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, tells us we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So church, we have an advocate. We have an advocate in heaven today who can fully identify with us. We have a savior who can empathize with our weaknesses. We have a king who knows exactly what we're going through when we hurt. We don't serve, we don't, we don't worship a distant God who doesn't understand us. But we worship one who knows us full well. Knows what it's like to be one of us. One who assumed human flesh. As a man, Jesus was tempted like us, yet he did not sin. Assuring us that victory over sin and temptation is possible through his power at work in us. As a man, Jesus was tempted like us. And as a man, Jesus is an example to us. He's an example to us. He lived and he learned and he grew and he spoke and he walked and he worshipped. He worshipped the Father in heaven perfectly. He rested in his relationship with God. He encountered adversity, and when he encountered adversity, he responded faithfully. He spoke kindly, but truthfully. He comforted the hurting, hurting, and he befriended the lonely. Jesus lived in the way that God made the rest of us to live in So even though Jesus did some things and said some things that were reserved for the Messiah alone, asking what would Jesus do is not such a bad question. I'm sure many of you remember that emphasis, WWJD, or perhaps slightly better, what would Jesus have me do? What would the King and Lord, the Messiah, the Savior, of what would he have me to do? What would he want me to do? Jesus lived as an example to us, but perhaps the most important The most obvious moment of his humanity came when he went to Calvary. For at Calvary, Jesus would die. Friends, as a man, Jesus would die. A sign of his humanity. As a man, Jesus would die. Like every other man, woman, boy, and girl, Jesus would face death. He would face sorrow. His human body would bleed. His lungs would struggle to inflate with oxygen as he hung upon the cross. His heart would stop beating and his body would cease moving because he was a man. As a man, Jesus was born and as a man, Jesus did die. But praise God, his death was not in vain for it was planned by the sovereign hand of the almighty God. As a man, Jesus would die and as a sinless man, Jesus could die for us in our place. And of course, this is what he did. Jesus came to live for us and die in place of us. He came to demonstrate the rescuing love of God. He came to embody the very gospel itself. For he would say, referring to himself, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, Jesus came to set prisoners free. 
Jesus came to redeem those enslaved to sin. He came to restore those who were in broken fellowship with God. In Jesus, the eternal creator became a man fully God and fully human. And the moment you or I or anyone else denies either of those, we have denied the God of the Bible and succumbed to a false teaching. John writes, the word became flesh. The eternal creator became a man. And we see here the eternal creator became a man to reveal God's glory. In order to reveal God's glory. John says in Jesus we see God's glory. What is his glory? God's glory refers to his greatness, his goodness, his holiness. To say God is glorious is to say that he's important, the most important person in existence anywhere at any time. His glory refers to his worth, his intrinsic worth, who he is in all of his fullness. John says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. And pretty soon, church, we'll be back in our study of Exodus where we spent the better, better part of a year. But we'll return to that portion of God's word. We want to finish that story that we've immersed ourselves in. And when we return to Exodus, we'll begin by reading God's particular instructions for Moses and the Israelites to build the tabernacle. And this tabernacle will then serve as God's temporary dwelling place in the camp. As we consider John chapter 1 verse 14, John intends for us to have that story in mind. He intends for us to have Exodus in mind because he's drawing parallels between the old tabernacle and the arrival of Jesus the Christ. He's saying that something even more significant than God's particular dwelling in the tabernacle in the center of the camp is now happening. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Word translated Dwelling literally means to dwell in a tent. You know, way back in March when all of this COVID stuff uh, hit and kids were out of school or they were in virtual school and we ceased gathering in person and all these other uh, activities that we're so used to, I thought, you know what, I'm going to be super dad. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, The weather's nice. The kids and I are going to, we're going to camp out in the backyard. So we pitched our tent in the backyard and had uh, a grand old time camping in the backyard uh, until it was time to sleep. And the kids slept like babies, but dad, not so much. I I remember thinking how pathetic. I've humbled myself from my, my house, my brick and mortar house, down to a tent in the backyard, and it's too much for me. I cannot sleep very well. Super Dad lasted three or four hours, and here we are nine months later just trying to survive. But imagine the high king of heaven, the one who rules and reigns on high, leaving his eternal abode and humbling himself on earth, not simply on earth, but as a creature, as a baby on earth. John 1.14 could rightly be translated, the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, or the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Both readings are accurate and faithful to the text. And now when we zoom out a bit, 
We strive to take this in in light of the rest of the scriptures. Take it in in light of the whole New Testament. And when we read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament, what John is saying is that the tabernacle in the desert foreshadowed and anticipated the Son of God tabernacling on earth among us. In other words, when God gave instructions to Israel through Moses concerning the building and use of the tabernacle, he had Jesus in mind. This story in mind, the incarnation in mind, consistent threads of the character of God and the need of humanity throughout the scriptures, consistent threads of the gospel weave throughout the scripture to portray the glory and the goodness of God to us. Now, by drawing this parallel, John is saying Christmas is reason to celebrate, celebrate because the Lord of history and God overall has come to our camp. He is here. That's what John is saying. He is here in Jesus of Nazareth. John and the witnesses are saying, see God's glory in Jesus. See his glory. See his goodness. See his greatness. See his holiness in the person and ministry and work and life of Jesus the Christ. So friends, when you drive down the street this December and you see Christmas lights, think of the light of the world. When you pass by a nativity scene, cast your gaze from the cradle to the cross and consider Jesus who gave his life on Calvary for you. If you want to know and believe and experience the incredibly constant and all satisfying love of God during this Christmas, then look no place else than to Jesus himself. Look to the light of the world. Look to the Savior who has now been raised and is reigning on high and who will return for his people. Gaze into the gospel during this Advent season that you may see the glory of God in Jesus the Christ. Church, the eternal creator became a man to reveal God's glory and to do so was also to demonstrate God's grace for he is the God of grace. The eternal creator became a man to demonstrate grace. The incarnation is part And parcel of God's mission to save souls who deserve condemnation. John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace. Throughout the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, we read that the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. An abounding in steadfast love or unfailing love. It's a refrain that we read again and again throughout the Old Testament. And John is declaring that the ultimate expression of this gracious character of God is Jesus himself. In Jesus, God demonstrates saving grace. So brothers and sisters, rest in God's saving grace. Rest in it. Delight in it. Rest in Jesus himself rests in the gospel, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outboard, there was the blood of the lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. The writer goes on, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? 
The hymn writer wants you to receive his grace. John the evangelist wants you to receive his grace. Chris the preacher wants you to receive it. The spirit of the living God wants us to receive it. Have you received it? Have you received the saving grace of the almighty God? Who has sent his perfect, his one and only son to live the life we couldn't, to die in our place, that we might have forgiveness of sins and eternal life in and through faith in him. Have you received it? And brother, sister, are you resting in it? Are you resting in it? Are you resting in what Jesus has done for you? You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. That's the beauty of it. It's rooted in the character of God. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Rest in God's saving grace. The eternal creator became a man to demonstrate grace. And lastly, John tells us here in John 1.14 that the eternal creator became a man to prove God's faithfulness. To prove God's faithfulness. God is faithful. Always. He is always faithful, even now, on December the 13th of 2020. God is faithful. John wants us to know that God is faithful to his promises, that the coming of the Messiah and King announced by the prophets has now been fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus. He's here, and John is declaring that his hereness is testimony to God's faithfulness. Friends, this is the truth he's been hanging on to for 13 verses. This is the truth that he has been waiting to share. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, John says. We've seen him. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want to know the truth, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Jesus shows us the truth about God. In the words of D.A. Carson, Jesus narrates God. He is God's gracious self-disclosure. His word made flesh. And his word made flesh always accords with his written word. His word is always in harmony with itself, for God's character is unchanging. You can trust God, for he is faithful. Friend, you can trust him. doesn't matter what you're going through. doesn't matter what you've experienced or what you're yet to face. You can trust God. You can trust God, for he is faithful. He is always faithful. And so we sing, great is thy faithfulness, right? O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, now forever will be. Church, the eternal Creator became a man to reveal God's glory, to demonstrate grace, and to prove God's faithfulness. This is good news. See, I I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know if you're lonely. I don't know if you're depressed. I don't know if you're sick. I don't know if you're grieving. I don't know if you've lost your job. But I know there is a God of glory, grace, and truth who longs for you to know unending joy in Jesus today. A God who longs for you and I to know Him, who desires to show us His love and to earn our trust. 
if we'll simply turn to Him. Have you turned to Him? Are you trusting Him? Put your trust in Jesus the Savior today. Rest in His saving grace. Delight in Him, for He is faithful. He is good. His glory has been made known. In just a moment, David's going to come and lead us in a hymn of response. And let me encourage you even now to ask God to, to lead you, the Spirit of the living God, to lead each of us now to respond to the truth of the gospel in a way that exalts His name. Perhaps for you that simply means the time of, of prayer and confession, expression of your faith, time of corporate singing where we encourage one another to walk with Jesus. But maybe for you that means turning to Jesus for the first time, repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus as Savior. You do so today. And if you have questions about that, know that this is a time for you to respond. I'm always available down front. Would love to guide you any way that I can. Pray with you. But may every one of us respond in a way that exalts Jesus the Savior. The Word made flesh, source of our salvation. Father, lead us now to respond in a way that exalts your name. Lord, lead us to respond in ways that are fitting for followers of Jesus. And Father, may you press these gospel truths into our hearts and onto our minds that that we might give you the worship you are due. And so, Father, if there are unbelievers gathered among us today that do not know you, Father, that have not trusted in Jesus for salvation, I pray that your Spirit would would convict them now and that they would turn and find life in you, abundant and eternal life in Jesus the Savior. Father, if, if there are places in our own hearts and lives where we are not walking with you, we pray that you would show those to us, that we might confess them to you and be restored to you once again. Father, lead us now as we worship you, as we respond to the truth of your word. Guide us for the glory of your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.